0: welcome back to part five the final installment of our temples of stoke series celebrating iconic California surf retailers today we have a conversation with Ed Wright and Brian Fredrickson of sunset surfboards We began this series with The Frog House, a raucous clubhouse of a retail store, chaos managed masterfully by TK Brimer. We then chatted with Bing Copeland, who transitioned a surfboard brand into a retail store, then passed both of those things off to Matt Calvani, who ushered it into the 2000s. We then spoke with Robert Housen, who started as a shop employee at Harbor Surfboards in Seal Beach saw the limitations of the business, and then convinced owner Rich Harbor to pivot the business model and ultimately sweat equityed his way into ownership. Episode four was with Josh Hansen, second generation co-owner of Hansen Surfboards, who built a brand around a surfboard label that is now 20,000 square feet of retail space, managing 55 employees. Well, today we sign off this series with an iconic surfboard label that really kind of trained up many important shapers, laminators, sanders, transitioned it into a retail store that even employed our very own Scott Bass, eventually expired its life cycle as a retail store, and despite the various business evolutions and detours, has always continued to output high quality, handmade surfboards up until this day, sunset surfboards. But before we do, I wanted to introduce actually a really amazing new sponsor for our network of podcasts here. The company is called Vayer Watches, and I was actually fed one of their Instagram ads just one day, a couple of, I don't know, a month ago, just scrolling Instagram, an ad pops up. And I saved it because I wanted to dig in and learn more. When I had the time, I was just kind of doing a quick scroll. And the reason why I saved it was, it was a clip of a guy doing a turn on the wave, but he was wearing kind of a fancier than normal watch in the water. So within a week before I even had time to go to their website and kind of investigate, I got an email from a friend introducing me to the founders, Ryan and Reagan. Both are surfers, both podcast listeners. They started the company in 2015 with the goal of designing a watch that you'd really never have to take off. Kind of rugged and durable enough to wear in the water in the morning, and then stylish enough to wear into the office um, or even out later that night. And they totally nailed the concept. So they actually sent me a watch and uh, it's kind of the perfect size, it's the perfect weight. It fits over or under your wetsuit sleeve. The dense woven nylon strap dries super quickly so it doesn't kind of leach water out onto your pants or throughout your day. And it's more fashionable than your bulky rubber tied watch. So every purchase actually comes with two of those straps. So you can actually pick the color that you want or the two colors that you want. They have leather straps as well. Anyway, the watches are obviously waterproof. They have a 10 ATM depth rating, sapphire crystal, and Swiss quartz movement and they are assembled in the united states vayer is spelled v-a-e-r it's vayerwatches.com and our promo code is surf10 the number one zero so surf one zero which gets you 10 percent off your entire purchase and of course it supports this show so definitely check them out vayer watches promo code surf10 really glad to introduce you to these guys it's a fantastic product so, without further ado, I hope that you enjoy my conversation with Ed Wright, founder of Sunset Surfboards, and his longtime partner in business, Brian Fredrickson. Firstly, I just came from Encinitas and spent the morning with Scott Bass. Okay, good. (laughs)
1: That's cool. He
0: told me. We have a history with Scott. I know. He told me to um, send you apologies for his past misgivings. (laughs) He said he put you through the ringer
2: at some point. Oh. Is that your remembrance of it? Yeah. He, you know, he had his ups and downs, and uh, at, at times he was. But anyway, we got along great, and then, and then years later, we had a nice kind of a clearing. Oh, really? Yeah, because he apologized, or well, yeah, really? I would love to hear what he
0: what his um, biggest offense was. What was your experience with Scott in
2: the early days? He is a totally different guy. Is he? he yeah, he yeah. is. And I didn't know about his at the time of his his writing ability and. Uh, uh, and this whole organizational thing of putting together you know, the whole board show thing that he yeah.
1: did.
2: And uh, anyway, he's quite a guy.
1: Mostly yeah. with Scott, I just, he and I just surfed together a bunch. Oh, okay. And uh, I introduced him to some different kind of music than he was used to listening to. Stuff like Aretha Franklin and oh, wow. blues and stuff like that that was a little different. So we had that in common. But mostly we just surfed. Gave yeah. him a couple boards and... You know, I didn't, I wasn't his boss at the time. Oh, okay. You know, so Ed probably had to deal with him more than I did. <laughs> right,
0: right, right. <laughs> um, yeah, I've only known him in the last, I don't know, eight years or so. So I've only known this new version of Scott. But he fessed up. He fessed up. That was the really? first thing he said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, we'll get into a lot of things. Part of the ongoing theme with the various shop owners that I've been talking to is employees. Like, they are the lifeblood of the store and there's not a lot of financial incentive like to choose that line of work as a career path but what's interesting is at some of these shops you see that they have great retention you know yeah. like they'll have employees a 17 year employee at the surf shop or whatever and now shops that are dealing with millennials you yeah. know just <laughs> managing the staff is different now than yeah. it was in Absolutely. the 80s or whatever so it's kind of been interesting let's start with the origin story though um, Ed how'd you get into uh, board building prior to retail shop ownership? What was your entry point into the world of board building? Uh,
2: building boards in my garage. Okay. And what, what year are we talking? When did you first We're start? talking 62, 63. Okay. And, um, whereabouts? Sanita, Lucadia. My parents had a house up on Neptune there, okay. uh, which is just down from beacons in Lucadia. And, uh, But my dad had been in surfing. He built his first board in a wood shop in 1935. Holy cow! At Huntington Park High, and he's the one that ultimately got me involved in surfing. And uh, he helped me build my first board. And uh, so that, and he moved us to Locadia in 1958. I started surfing in '59. And but we've always been a hands on kind of person, gotcha. And so, ding your board, you better learn how to fix it, you know. So, I started doing ding repair in the garage and then built a couple of boards that were pretty much disastrous. Mm. But what it did, it gave me a feel for how to make it better each time because I didn't have any teachers at the time. So, what happened is, uh, we let's see in uh, 64 took a surf trip to Mexico for four months, came back, had to go to Palomar, and a friend of mine, John Price, was going to Palomar. John Price ended up doing a franchise thing with Dick Brewer, surfboards Hawaii. And I'm there trying to finish up school, and he says, hey, Ed, you need a job. Sure, I need a job. I just got back from Mexico, and I had nothing. So he says, well, whatever you don't know, I'll teach you. And so that's kind of how it started, in doing fins, I even glassed some boards, a little sanding, and uh, and then I started doing uh, fin sheets, and then he says, how would you like to learn how to do tail blocks? Yeah, sure. So, grinding tail blocks, and then nose wedges were really the tough ones. So, But he saw that as long as I was conscientious and took my time, it would it would be a good job, yeah. you know, and I was always there. Mm. I mean, I was always there. Um, where were you getting
0: materials from at that
2: point? It was that polyurethane? Was, yes. Okay. Yeah, you know, and uh, Volan cloth okay. kind of thing. But it was right down in Macadia, and uh, I don't remember the address, right next to Little More Restaurant on the corner there. It was there Surfboards Hawaii was.
0: And they were, the materials were coming from... Clark Foam, Walker?
2: Uh, we were using Walker Foam. Okay. Yeah, we were using Walker Foam. And uh, Kettenberg delivered the, the resin and the fiberglass and all okay. that.
0: Yeah. And who were your reference points? Obviously, Brewer is an identifiable name. Um, who were your reference points at that time? Were there other board builders around what style of boards were they making and how many boards are you doing a year or a month?
2: Or? Right, well, at that point in my life, we were, John Price had worked for Hanson's and I knew Don and would go down to the shop and it just that door didn't open for me and uh, so the door at Surfboard Hawaii opened and so eventually he says, well, how would you like to learn how to shape? I said, you kidding me? Well, sure, you know, I was still a student. And uh, so uh, he said, I'll teach you, which he was a good teacher, and he was patient with me, and, and uh, it just took time, especially learning how to use the planer. Mm-hmm. And not re- you can make a mistake real quick, right, Brian? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so absolutely. Um, that's how I got started, and the next thing you know, I'm doing five boards a day and then going up to eight boards a day, and, and he's shipping boards all over the United States, and, uh, so we got a lot of, a ex- lot of experience and, uh, it an interesting side note is that Al Merrick and Bob Hackinson were all part of our little group, the surf team. And, uh, we got into designing boards and we, d- we came up with the model A. Do you remember that design I, at all? I don't. Had the, the, the stringers that go oh, like yeah, this. yeah, yeah, yeah. Square tail block, yep. step deck. And so we, but he wasn't shaping that. So I started shaping all the Model A's, and it was just kind of interesting, and later on, uh, Al moved up to Santa Barbara, and... Uh, and uh, yeah, you know, Al went to San Diego with... Yeah, he yeah. went to San... He's my neighbor down the street, but we went to high school together. That's funny.
0: Yeah, I think people only associate him with Santa Barbara. <laughs> yeah. Not a lot of people know yeah. the no, he, San Diego No, he grew connection. up in Encinitas. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
2: And then Hawkinson followed him? Pretty much. Yeah, and he's got the glass shop, he glassed all of Al's boards. He's mm-hmm. still he's still glassing. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful job. So they were part of that early Surporawai white t- right. crew. Right. And then we, Dick would come through and I'd just watch him for hours shaping guns and he was always really quiet. And but he as long as I stayed out of his way, you know, you see, I could sit there and watch him all day. Wow. Yeah. What but, a great resource to have. Yeah. Yeah, that was great. And so that was my beginnings, and that was my kind of foundation, and uh, and then down the road, uh, I I had an opportunity to um, go into business for myself, and uh, so that started in it was November of 1968. What was the opportunity? The opportunity was. Uh, it was something I really wanted to do, and I kind of, kind of saw how John was doing it, and all the dealers and building boards, and and um, and so <laughs> the opportunity came with a big boot. He he found out that I was interested in opening my own shop, and that was it. Boom! I was out. Oh,
0: really? Yeah.
2: Okay. Yeah, so I didn't want to open in the middle of the winter, but uh, we, we did. It worked out great. It was just a little tough for a while. So I would love to
0: understand, like, where was it located? What was the objective for the business? Obviously, you have surfboards as your background. What did you want to add to the business to fill it out?
2: Well, um, I had started out small. I was able to secure a rental building downtown Encinitas. Right now, it's across from Starbucks. Okay. Encinitas. How far from the beach? Uh, Well, we're about three blocks from Swami's. Okay. And about five blocks from Moonlight Beach, something like that. Okay. Yeah, but we we pretty much always serve Swamis, and uh, so uh, but we started out slow, and um, uh, it wasn't really until and Tony Channon did my glassing at first, and uh, it wasn't much, but <laughs> it was. Yeah. And then once we, I got a, a, I went, I started picking up a few dealers, and then. And then I decided to start glassing there. And then we had our empo- some employees. And uh, so it, it picks up the chatter as far as what's happening. Nobody gave you a whole lot of thought that you would actually make it. Yeah. You, know, you get a lot of negative, you know. Yeah. But the boards were still good. And uh, we had uh, good quality boards with Shannon. And then we had uh, eventually had Gary Stuber glassing for us that went into uh, moonlight glassing eventually i'll get into that right and and uh, so anyway we really prided ourselves on uh, building a high quality surfboard and uh, trying to keep up and ahead of the design as much as possible
0: what were you selling other than surfboards
2: uh everything i mean we got into a clothing store i mean we were wetsuits with the bernard brothers who own Surf Ride, they came to work for me. And uh, they had been working for Russell Surf Shop up in Newport Beach. So I didn't really know how to run a retail store. So, ah, no, no, you need more of this, you need more of that. Next thing you know, we got all this, and then the thing just took off.
1: Yeah, they were like the first retail employees of Sunset. And they really
2: helped me get outside my shaping room box to, hey, we can sell T-shirts, we can do this, 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 this. And... uh, and so, yeah, it started really growing.
0: But you empowered them to make those decisions and gave them the a responsibility.
2: Well, we we talked about it, and they talked me into it. And okay. the more that happened, and we were successful, I was going wow. You know, I think it lasted for about a year, and then they eventually moved down and opened a restaurant. They were very creative and uh, ingenious, really. The two twin brothers.
0: And were they um, carrying? A bunch of different brands, or was it all Sunset? It was branded? all Sunset? It Was all Sunset branded? at
2: that point? Got it. Later on, we did carry a couple brands from Hawaii. Okay, we carried some Gary P- Kanapuni. We carried some um, uh,
1: Stonebreakers,
2: Bill Barnfield, and Stonebreaker.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah, and then Ken Bradshaw. my Ken Bradshaw uh, used to, he came over from Texas and he uh, lived in my house for a while. He was a young kid, and but he was a good surfer and got better and better and better. And so that was our kind of our Hawaii connection. And eventually he moved over there. And then we started carrying a couple of his boards, too.
0: Why did he move to California from Texas?
2: Why remember? would you, anybody move? <laughs> <laughs> well, wow. he was- wanted He wanted. He wanted some bigger surf. So he had already discovered surfing before he oh, yeah. go. got it. Yeah. Got it. got it. Got it.
0: Yeah. I didn't know if like his parents moved him out here and then you witnessed him discover surfing. No, got I forget,
2: it. you know, he was he came in the shop, you know, and and
1: had this long hair. He's like fifteen or sixteen, kinda of left home. And I think it was like a career move for him. I think he had it kinda of planned out a little bit. He he wanted to be a a surfer in the surf industry and mm-hmm. he was talented. You know. Yeah.
0: Good. I didn't know that was a thing back then. I
1: didn't know there was a career path to be a pro surfer. Well,
2: there was a whole crew of Texans that came out at that time. I'm not familiar with this. And they just had this massive... There was a group of them that lived in Insonius Lucadia. And uh, I would say, I don't know, at least 20. Wow. I used to call Beacons West Texas. No way. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's funny. Yeah. Back to the retail store... (laughs) So building boards is a skill set, doing it well, being a craftsman. Selling those surfboards and running a business is a different skill set. And sometimes those don't align. Like we have surfboard shapers that have been building boards for 30 and 40 years who still barely get by and don't run don't even have a business license, you know, it's just so cottage. So those are two skill sets. But then there's a third one, which is running a retail store. That's an entirely different skill set. So I like, I think when you do see a uh, successful example of it, it is somebody who's empowered and delegated some roles. Like they've empowered other people to pick up some of those pieces and they've delegated successfully and let go some of the responsibility. Um, So I'm curious in that kind of early days when you're bringing on clothing into the store, why did it make sense for you? Was it... I mean, it's more profitable, right? Yeah. Um, is it more burden... Is it less burden than surfboards? Like, what did that look like for you? What did that equation look like for you, and why was it worth doing?
2: Well, it was worth doing because, uh, percentage-wise, you can make more, more, more bang for the bucks, and but you really had to move the retail merchandise. right? But it wasn't my... Uh, call it was passion. A my passion okay my passion was building boards right you know and so in order to build boards and keep that going you had to have something that can carry it and support it right and then we started we started selling boards across the united states and a few internationally uh and that did help the volume side of it we did in the in the in the mid-70s mid we got up to about 75 boards a week wow yeah we were cranking them That's pretty good lot. And um, so we had a lot of different shapers working with us. And that was all part of the kind of mystique of having shapers and surf team riders creating that whole mystique in the area, especially swamis, mm-hmm. you know, and, and beacons, right? Yeah. I, I live by beacons.
1: But. You'd walk in the store and you could smell the resin and it was just, it was a, an experience. Yeah. Was I miss so- that. You know, oh, yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, very few stores have
1: I board know, building on the any,
2: premises. Except maybe, maybe Doug Howlett up in uh, Santa Cruz.
0: I mean, well, there's a few that are shaping boards on premises, but not a lot that are laminating still. Yeah.
2: Well, we were starting to get pressure from the neighbors with the resin smell and the s- sanding dust flying around, and, and we still were legal, and uh, but we felt the pressure, and uh, but the other thing that was happening was. The real estate was starting to and i was able to buy the building oh good for you and that was a real gift in what year i think it was in 73 okay and uh so but as we were moving along um eventually what happened while we made the split moving the factory out was i just i couldn't do everything and uh so I made a deal with the employees, with the glassing guys. Hey, you guys want to go into business? I'll sell everything at cost, and gets and, and our uh, our manager at the time, uh, Mark Kintz. Oh yeah, was he was going to help them to move up, move to San Marcos, and uh, so they had to come up with some money for themselves to run a business, not for me. And it's a good thing because they're able to to go and make a run of it, and uh, 30 years later, they're still there. Which we should say is moonlight glassing. Yeah. Right,
0: yeah. Yeah. I mean, arguably one of the most reputable,
2: high-quality, successfully run glassing shows. The the, the Magic Four were all from Sunset. Who were those four? Gary Stuber, Peter St. Pierre, we called him Peter Pinline, and then Kenny Mann, who has since passed away, unfortunately. He was a sander. And then Mark Donlan was the rub-out guy, kind of a hustler, uh, uh, packaging boards. But he came up with his money, the right. four of them. And he uh, says, well, you, you know, by, if you have a partnership, you don't have to pay for workman's comp. And you just get your own health insurance policy that way. And it, it made sense. You know? so, and they got some really inexpensive rent out in San Marcos. They right. got a big building. And away they go. Is it the same building that they're in now? Mm -hmm. Wow. And And then they were just kind of bought out by Christians and surfboards. Right, right.
0: So how how do you feel about that decision in hindsight of uh, splitting with them? Is there any remorse, or do you wish that you would have partnered with them along the way, or was it the
2: right decision? Uh, No, I think it was the right decision. I think it was a hard decision. I had to let go of something. And uh, I think ideally... The iconic shop, the way it was run with the glassing, shaping retail was the best,
0: but it wasn't going to last forever.
2: I could see it wasn't going to last forever, and then we had an opportunity to to. I had visions. Okay, well, we're going to make this into a retail store, but we got to do some major remodeling. Okay, so we got out a bank loan, (coughs) big project, and we had to bring we had anyway. So. it really turned out beautiful and the build out uh, pardon the build out yeah 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 it turned out beautiful and i'm also thinking in the back of my head this someday is going to be my retirement (laughs) you know like today it's all paid for so we pretty much just live off the rent but um but i kept shaping you know i keep i kept shaping and uh, i still shape um i do customs only um but it's the love that you have, and yeah. all my my kids and my grandkids are getting involved and not shaping so much, but just surfing. And, yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, where did you enter the conversation, Brian? What were your early experiences at Sunset?
1: Well, first would have been <laughs> um, just as a team writer. You know, it's like my – actually, my sister dated a store manager. I think Rick was – Rick Grouse was Oh, was, yeah, yeah, the man, that's he right. The, he was the manager, you know, early – like – 70 71 72 somewhere in there and he saw me riding my skateboard told my mom i'd be a good surfer mom went to ed and actually my first board was one of ed's hand-me-downs oh my gosh and uh we we knew ed from church okay and so um i started surfing and then a couple years later i had probably just bugged him enough i just been hanging out at the shop so much that they put me on the surf team okay
0: and then um what did the surf team consist of at that time? Just giving them free
2: boards or free oh, t-shirts or discounts. discounts? Discounts. Okay. We didn't give free boards away. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They never would given. pull in the old. Give us their old one. We give them a new one,
1: and then they would keep. And it was, you could. And you would. Reach, them, you would sell free, the used board to make some cash. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Carry on. And um, then one day um, the. The guy that was doing the cleanup in the factory, sweeping out the shapers and stuff, had quit or got fired. I don't remember. And I, I came in okay. after school, and they asked me if I wanted the job.
2: So we had like, him a broom.
1: Yeah. so <laughs> That was his start. I, and I I tend to say that I'll take what I set out to do pretty seriously. And so I wanted to be the, the best cleanup guy. You know, just like I don't know. The shapers would still give me a little bit of a hard time, but I think it was cleaner than they'd ever had it. <laughs> um it's but, part of their job is to give you a hard time yeah. regardless you know, of how good Yeah, I was in high was. school and yeah. you know, but then you know I started doing a little bit of ding repair and I started we had back before the internet we had we had ads in the surf magazines and you know selling t-shirts and stickers and people would tear the page out and check off the ones they wanted and mail it in and I was yeah. packaging them up, taking them to the post office and mailing them to awesome. stuff you know and then I started working in the store a little bit. So I, I, pretty soon, I was kind of just doing yeah. a little bit of everything. Right. But I, and I love doing stuff with my hands. I, Ed taught me to shape in, I believe, it was 80-ish. Yeah, it was later. Yeah, yeah 1980. Um, I mean, I dabbled with it with some of the other shapers. The, my, the thing that was good for me is because I was in the shop, and I worked with a bunch of different shapers on custom boards for myself, I I knew surfboard design way before I ever learned how to use the tools. Okay. And so once I had to learn how to use the tools, the rest of it kind of came a little more naturally. I don't have the gift that Ed does with a planer okay. and stuff like that, but but my boards would ride good. Yeah. <laughs> and um, but yeah, I did a bunch of stuff, and then I started as the factory moved out and we quit doing wholesale. Um, we were just doing boards for us, then I you know, Ed and I kind of did most of the shaping. And then after a while, I sort of did most of it, but Ed would still have his hands in it. But I worked in the store. I packaged boards. I'd be there till midnight. Wrap. You know, this is before the factory. I'd be in there wrapping boards until midnight to send them to the East Coast for somebody. And you know.
0: Why'd you scale back from wholesale?
1: Uh well, once we let go of the factory,
2: we we also let go of a certain profit margin, and you really had to run it tight uh, to be able to have them glass your boards and then it was really a tight margin and so after a while you, you know, we just weren't making it wholesale wise yeah and I wanted to focus on uh, retail doing customs and still doing. And Moonlight was glassing all of our boards. So we just had a price point that would work for us in a retail store. But you needed the full price. You couldn't yeah.
0: wholesale it out. Um, was that a successful
1: pivot? Yeah. Good. Mm-hmm. And I would say traditionally, too, surf shops aren't always the best at paying. So no. we'd send somebody 10 boards, but it might take four, four or five months to get paid for we them. We only and- got burned a couple times
2: and it wasn't that much money but ouch it hurts. Oh yeah. So that is part of this
0: conversation by the way, an ongoing thread in every shop conversation that I've had is there's not enough money in surfboards. So you need the street cred as a retailer to have like a board label associate. It's not a true surf shop unless you're making surfboards, you know? And yeah. problem is You can't make enough money to have a successful retail shop. So what is the right alchemy? And part of it seems to be, you know, charging full retail price, not wholesaling, and then having soft goods. Oh, yeah. The soft goods
2: uh, carried you through. Right. And the surfboards brought people in. And hopefully you just, you made a little money or break even on the boards. But it was a love affair with the boards. Right. You know, and the people that ride them. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: And it helps build a strong brand.
2: Yeah. Like people
0: will want a sunset shirt because the boards are so well regarded. Yeah. They wouldn't want the shirt if there were no surfboards. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break and then I'll be back with more from Ed Wright and Brian Fredrickson. Hey, since you obviously like podcasts, you might want to check out Optimal Living Daily where I simply read articles to you just like an audiobook, but from a bunch of different authors one short reading every single day of the year to help you learn, grow, and live a more meaningful life, covering happiness, personal development, minimalism, and more from very popular writers. It's changed my life for the better and hopefully will for you too. Check it out and subscribe for free wherever you listen to podcasts. Again, that's the podcast, Optimal Living Daily. Um, so what did the retail shop look like when you made that transition?
2: Well, um, it
1: we probably tripled our space okay. or quadrupled our space.
2: Yeah, retail, it, it, it gave us a lot more space. And uh, it, it took us a while to try to generate enough sales to cover the space. And, and then it worked for a while. And then eventually we cut back on, one, on the north side of the building about 1,400 square feet. And uh, just had, I think we had 2,500 square feet.
0: What was behind that decision? Why'd you cut back?
2: um, The surf industry goes through ups and downs, and we were having a a a little bit of a downtime. And uh, um, I even had an opportunity to take a job with uh, a a wave making uh, company called Surftech, which has nothing to do with the surfboard company called Surftech, but they make they make wave making machines for water parks, and this was in '85. I actually worked for them for a year, and uh, in looked, what capacity? As a salesperson, mm-hmm. and uh, traveled around different uh, shows in the United States, talking wave machines, talking water parks, and the wave the wave machine worked really pretty good. They even had a ASP. Professional contest in um, Allentown, Pennsylvania. Yep, that was the first one, and it was our wave maker machine. And uh, it wasn't anything like what Kelly has now, but uh, it it the wave was we, we really wanted to to produce a powerful wave. But uh, the whole concept of the water park industry is you bring people in. By the thousands, and they all want to go and use the wave pull at once, you know, and uh, uh, so, and then eventually the, the company was bought out, and I just said, no, i i I just went back to what I was doing, and then in '89, oh, I had a, I had an opportunity. Uh, this whole time is that I'm a, a devoted Christian. About the time I really gave my life to Christ in '69, uh, and so a lot of these decisions I was trying to make, I was trying to make a not just a calculated, intellectual decision, but a heartfelt and a spiritual decision. And uh, but we were, my wife and I were very involved with training up young believers, even ourselves, young married couples. But uh, we had a uh, so in the '80s, we had in the late '80s, we were very involved with our church, and at the, and uh, we even had Bible studies at the shop.
0: Oh wow!
2: Some of the some in the morning, I tried to uh, when the factory was there, or so that was always part of what we were doing. Gotcha. And uh, but anyway, I asked the senior pastor about. Hey, there was an opening that came up for a pastor, gotcha. and I said. Would, would you ever consider hiring my wife and I uh, to do marriage and family and do men's, men's anyway? He said, I don't know. We've never done that before. So they talked with the board, and sure enough, he says, well, we'll, yeah. Yeah, we, we'll do it. We'll do it. Uh, and he says, are, are you willing to, I says, well, I'm willing to sell the store. He says, you are? I said, yeah, because it's. It was just, we go through life, and, and I saw that as something I'd really love to do. And I still built boards. And, uh, so, anyway, through a process, I think it took about a year or whatever. But anyway, Brian and his dad uh, actually end up buying the store. So, through that? April 89. Okay, so through that time where you're kind of learning
0: the trade, yeah. jack of all trades, basically doing a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. You were the right-hand man and the right person to pass it to. He did off everything. To. Yeah, yeah.
1: And I fell in love with retail. I mean, I still, I'm still in retail in surf retail. I work for South Coast down in Ocean Beach, and um, I love the customers. I love the helping them find right, correct stuff. Um, I love building boards for people. I love doing customs. I build boards and we put them on the floor and we sell them, but. I love doing custom boards for people cuz I just I want to just pass that stoke on mm-hmm. you know and and I've been doing it long enough I have a pretty good idea how to steer them mm-hmm. you know it's not always right there but um, I have customers that have been I've been building boards for for gosh I've been shaping almost 40 years so I probably have <laughs> customers that have been yeah, I've been shaping boards for for thirty five years. You know?
0: yeah. What label are you using? Sunset. You're still using Sunset. Still, still cool. use Sunset. Do but you both?
1: He's using Ed. I use Wright. Ed Wright surface. Got it. Got yeah. it. Got
0: it. Um, when you took over ownership, how did how did the business change for you? What did you have a extra level of um, pride of any responsibility of?
1: Yeah, um, I probably went into it more with heart than with with brains. Oh, yeah. But um, it just, I loved the store, and um, definitely proud of Sunset. Um, I think North County produced the best boards in California, for sure. Um, you know, a lot of board building with Channon and Castor and stuff. But, you know, San Diego built good boards, but I, I was biased, but I always thought Sunset and the guys, <laughs> yeah. you know, Peter and Gary and Kenny and all those guys were were the best and our shapes were the best you know i i was i was that guy
0: i mean it arguably arguably generated more notable names than any other brand that i could think of right who kind of left to go on to do their own
1: projects eventually oh, yeah. we we I generated mean, a who's
2: who of quite a few new shapes
1: not new shapers but shapers yeah and um and there's a zillion people in the surf industry that when I see them, they're going, Oh, my first board was a sunset. Really? You know, it just, yeah. Just so many of those guys.
2: I think part of the, well, I wanted to encourage guys, you know, and they'd come to work, or I wouldn't let them work for me unless they had so much. I was willing to work with them and help them improve their trade, uh, their skills. And um, so I always. Took a commitment to hire a new shaper. Yeah, no matter who it was. Sure. And uh, just to you wanted to do it the way you on your boards, so they're all consistent. Right. So this is the, before the
1: shaping machine, so it's yeah. yeah. We did have a machine that would do the bottom rockers for us. Yeah. Later on, Wait, it would it would help do the bottom rockers, and so that part could
2: be consistent. But profiling yeah. machine. Yeah. Yeah. Just the bottoms.
0: Yeah. Um, your willingness. To kind of train people and
2: to build them up, was that unique in the board building world? because I feel uh, like I don't think so okay I remember mean, I know a lot of guys that came through the Hanson Hansen's deal like yeah. John Price did and um, and so a lot of my techniques and skills are actually coming down through Hansen and down you look at the tree, the shaper's tree, and even down through Hobie because Hansen worked for Hobie. and
0: yeah. Yeah. I just think of, um, and I wasn't there, but I think of certain eras with board builders where things were, they just want to keep it private, you know, like they don't want anybody in the shaping bay. Um, I think now everything's changed with social media; people are just documenting their own processes and putting it out there for everybody to see. But I feel like there was, um, I don't know, more uh, proprietary kind of control at some point. Wasn't your case at all?
2: Uh, Not so much for me. I mean, the people that we did hire, I could see that they uh, had uh, some talent, and I could learn from them. Oh, wow. And, like, Mike Willis is one. And um, uh, Mike Gruteau is another one. Mm -hmm. Uh, Rusty Preissendorfer is another one. It worked for me. And um, I don't
1: know, there's a few others. yeah. (laughs) But I mean instead. Yeah,
2: Schwaz Raz, shape worked for me for 10 or 12 years. Mm. And uh, so it's kind of mutual. Mm. And uh, and another one is Tempacell. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Awesome. So your um, obviously Sunset Retail is no longer correct at that location. Tell me about that journey.
1: Well, that was a tough one. I just I went into it um, like I said, with more heart than brains, oh, okay, and a little under under um financed, I guess, and maybe um, maybe too much of a surf shop um type um idea, you know, it's was like, oh well, I'm the owner now i am gonna surf a bunch <laughs> you know, <Right. laughs> and I wasn't you know um I mean, I still there was a lot of years I worked six days a week, but um, yeah, it just, and like Ed said earlier, there was all these ups and downs in the industry. And one of those downs, I just just couldn't afford to keep it going anymore. What year was that? 97, I believe.
0: 97, okay. Um, In hindsight, what could you have done differently or what would you have done differently?
1: Hmm.
0: Or was it just at the end of its life cycle? I mean, every brand, I think, has a life cycle.
1: Yeah. um, I'm not sure. I probably would have gotten more professional help right from the beginning to uh, help me figure out what needed to be done in what ways. Um, You know, I I was winging it I'd taken a couple small business management classes at Palomar, you know, but it, it wasn't um, you know, I was just I was trying to do it on the passion instead of the, the brains, I guess. Sure. Um, I don't, I thought about that often. If somebody else had gone in there with a different mindset, if they would have made it last longer, you know, I'm looking at, I'm working at a shop right now that opened in 74 and um they're doing great business are they Uh
0: what are the challenges that they face now and how are they different than in 97 what you were facing
1: um i think their challenges are (laughs) more personnel and um and probably leadership a little bit you know they're um, they're again another long term. It was um, when Rob Ard sold South Coast, he sold it to three of his longtime employees. They, I think, the shortest one had been there twenty years, and somebody had been there thirty years. One of them had been there, he'd been there even longer. Um, so they they were hardcore, dedicated shop employees that bought it, and they're and they're making a good run of it. I mean, they're and their location is. Like a prime retail location, you know, Ocean Beach is just an amazing amount of people through there. You know, it'd be like having a shop on Front Street in Lahaina. You know, it's just like it's it's just like such a great location. Um, But they definitely have their challenges. Um, Yeah,
0: mostly personnel related.
1: I I would say they um, they have a harder time getting. You know, that, I mean, the owners are those long-term employees. They have a harder time getting that type of employee now. That type of loyalty from an employee. Ed Ed had me, and then later on I had Scott Overland, who's the DeKine rep now. Scott came to work for me, and he was, like, just indispensable for me. You know, they have, uh, South Coast has five stores, and uh, they have a couple of those long-term, real dedicated people, but... Um there's enough <laughs> other people that that there's still challenges. i mean it's <laughs> it seems to me
0: this is kind of I think the main part of the conversation and why um Surfing Heritage is doing this series is that retail now and like big box retail, you know surf big box shops that aren't built on a surfboard label. It's an entirely different thing. And um, when you come from the background you guys came from, you did it because you loved. You were an employee there and willing to sweep the floors simply because you loved surfing and you wanted to be a part of this thing. And it's in your DNA, the culture is in your DNA. And that's why you were so loyal. There was no amount of financial incentive or compensation package or whatever that would incentivize you more or less. You were just going to do it. You know, and so now, I don't know that um, employees have that same level of passion and loyalty because they're not they're just taking it as a job maybe versus a job at Starbucks
1: you know I would say that's mostly true there's 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 people still in this generation that want to work and um, want to be good at what they're doing but yeah. but Entry-level retail doesn't get a lot of those.
0: What do you think is lost on today's uh, surfer? Because surf, like, when I was growing up, I had to go through a surf shop to, buy, to become a surfer. Surfboards were only available there. Wetsuits were only available there. Board shorts were only available there. They weren't available at Nordstrom or wherever else. Um, they are now. So what's different, on, what's different for today's youth? not having to go through that kind of cultural experience of the surf shop that was Sunset. Is anything lost on them?
1: I don't... You know, I would would think so. I mean, my experience growing up in the surf industry with surf shops is definitely different than their experience. Um, I think it's helped You know, the availability is helping the surf industry to a point, but it's also, um, you know, to me, it's like a bunch of, I see a bunch of really good surfers out there now on soft boards. And it's like, I just, I couldn't bring myself to do that. And, you know, that could be my stubborn part of me. um, But to me, it's just, it's just, it's just sort of sad. Do <laughs> you sell soft tops in your shop? sell tons of them. Right. Yeah, and there's better margin on them. Yeah. You know? And so it's good and bad. But yeah, there's... Yeah, you can be a surfer without ever walking into a surf shop now.
0: Yeah. Can you envision a future where everything's sold online? No. no. What's the value that the surf shop adds?
1: People can... Especially with surfboards... Um, they can come and put their hands on it. You know, and, the, and the hardcore surf guys, they, that's what they want to do. The new, you know, I mean, maybe the newcomers, You know, 20 years from now, the guys that are newcomers now will be the old time guys. And everybody will be buying online. But I think as they get more into the sport, they're going to appreciate the differences in a surfboard and, and want that feeling of putting it under your arm, going, yeah, this is the one. Or talking to a guy that builds them. You know, and saying, you know, I have this board. I like this about it, but it doesn't do this. What can we do different? You know, and and I can help that guy. I can get him a different set of fins. I can shape him a board with a quarter inch more tail rocker. You know, whatever might be the case for that particular board. Um, now I kind of forgot where I was going with that. Well I,
0: just, well, I was asking what the value of the surf shop is in today's world where people yeah. can buy all this stuff
1: online. And the expertise of dialing you into the right surfboard is the yeah.
0: answer that you're giving.
1: That, well. and, and wetsuits, like people come to us to try them on. And then a lot of times they go and buy them online. Oh, really? Some, sure. I've, I've even heard that some shops are charging people to try on wetsuits now. Really? And that if they buy the suit, they don't charge them. Okay. But, um, wow, that's interesting. But, yeah. I'd be offended if the shop tried to
0: charge me for trying on a wetsuit. Yeah.
1: I, I, I don't know who that is. I've just had certain reps tell me that that's yeah. happening. It's like,
0: wow. I think that would eliminate the sale. Like, I, I would just yeah. be indignant of, why are you trying to nickel and dime me? I'm going somewhere else.
1: Yeah. Know? Yeah. But I understand why they need to do but it. But I've also had people come out of the changing room going, yeah, this fits pretty good, and grab their cell phone right in front of me and start going... Oh, yeah. Cool.
0: Price <laughs> yeah. checking?
1: Yeah. Wow. Yeah.
0: So what is the uh, profit center of the business now? What's the moving? B- okay. Absolutely. Which is something, though, that they could buy online. hmm You know? But- like, they have to come in for the surfboard because they want to have that expertise and the feel, and yet the surfboard still isn't.
1: Yeah. In this particular case, and it. It could be true. I've worked in a couple pretty key shops location-wise. But this is a very tourist-driven business. And so people want, you know, they're on vacation. They want a shirt from Ocean Beach. They want a San Diego shirt. You know, they want, they didn't pack enough clothes. They want to, you know, get a new shirt for dinner tonight. Um, You know, they don't. Know, they don't need to want to shop online when they're on vacation. That makes perfect sense. You know, and that's why this location is just gold.
0: Ed and Brian will be back in just a moment to share their thoughts on the consignment model and what they're building currently for Sunset Surfboards. I would love to hear both your opinions from the soft goods side and the board side about the consignment model it's been a hot topic in recent years um what are the pros and cons and are you for it or are you against it is it good for the business
1: is it good for the industry what are your thoughts um wow um i would say everybody has to make adjustments just like me saying I'm stuck in my ways and I'd never ride a softboard, and you know I grew right. up in the surf shop when the surf shop was the only place to get this stuff, and I feel like people are missing out. Your business has got to evolve. I would say it's helping surf retail. I don't know if it's helping surf wholesale. You know they're you know it's a they're tough people to compete against when. Um, People are getting better margins on their product. Um, they don't have to pay for it <laughs> until it sells, and they do tons of promotions and demos where people can um, ride the boards first and then um, get directed to a shop to go buy it. Yeah, you know, and they're—I think they're pretty good about not selling to, you know, people. You know, people in the industry can go there and get a surfboard, but they don't sell to—they don't sell retail. They, they keep it, you know they they work hard for their dealers. To protect the retailers a little. Yeah, bit. Mm-hmm. and so I think it's good for the retail stores, but the you know the guys that are building you know four or five hundred boards a year um, are probably not going to like that. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts, Ed,
0: on the idea of the consignment model and what it how it affects the business as a whole, the industry?
2: Uh, I think if they can bankroll it, it's really to their advantage. And if they can, because when they come into a shop, they're taking floor space. There's a real competition for floor space, just like in the supermarket, floor space, rack space, you know. And uh, that's pretty hard for the average manufacturer to have to compete with that. That's a pretty neat, pretty good deal for them and for the retailer, Uh, He doesn't have to put upfront money. He can use that money to buy other product, especially clothing, uh, to give a higher margin. He's just got to pay his bills. When it comes around, he's got to be able to, okay, I got to, you know. So that's competition, and it's just the way it is. Uh, I think for the small little shop, uh, there's not as many mom and stops shops around anymore, but... They can still survive and, and have their own mystique about them, uh, have their own following, uh, and not go with the big retail. right? You know, like Brian
1: works. They have four, five stores? Five,
2: five yeah. stores. Yeah.
1: And I think the small shops are way more dependent on back to the employees. You know, there's got to be a reason for somebody to go to that small shop. Yeah. And if you walk in and there's somebody there that doesn't really care if they're there or not, Those little shops aren't going to last, but if there's somebody that's dedicated and has the passion, then those guys can, you know, and have the experience and knowledge. That's, you know, that's key. Yeah. Um,
0: What are you guys' thoughts on the state of the current board building industry right now? How do you feel about it? What are the threats now, and how how is that different than what they were in previous decades?
2: Well, I think with the excitement of surfing, my little granddaughter's nine years old, and she's at surf school down here at Moonlight Beach. Mm -hmm. And then we brought her up, and she got on one of the soft boards and stood right up on it. She's getting the bug already, you know. And uh, the local shops can really help uh, formulate that community atmosphere to come into the shop. Uh, but uh, surfing's here to stay and now the Olympics and it's going to take on uh, a whole much larger world sphere I think of marketing around the world I don't know what the industry is now it's a couple of billion dollars and um, it'll, you know, it'll just there's no stopping it I don't think People get jazzed on surfing.
1: Mm-hmm. With wave pools, it's not, it's not limiting it to the coast now. You know, they can, they've can. they got a couple in Texas that people, I know guys from San Clemente right by Trestles that took trips to uh, um, Texas to go surf.
0: Yeah, I've done it.
1: Yeah. And so that's opening it up. But I think as far as threats to the small board builders, um it could be a plus or minus, like I said. You got to adapt to what's happening, but um, different EPA laws and different materials mm-hmm. available. Me personally, for the ninety-five percent of my boards I build are all still hand shaped, yeah. and some of the new materials, the EPSs and XTR and stuff, are pretty tough to hand shape. Um, what are you riding personally, then? I ride a variety now, for the most, because I like shaping polyboards better. Yeah. You know, I can make what I'm trying to make a lot easier out of poly. Yeah. Um, and I ride, I ride some firewires. I think they, they ride good. Um, and I like riding stuff that I'm selling. I've always kind of done that. that makes um, sense. Is with, when I was with surf riding with Rip Curl, I, um, I would get boards from different manufacturers just so I'd have that experience of saying, well, I rode that board, and yeah. this is what it was like for me. Now I'm at my age I'm not the best test pilot anymore and so that's probably less important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um but yeah, I I ride mostly polyboards.
0: Um what's your current relationship like with surfing, Ed? Do you still
2: surf? Yeah. How often? And yeah, well I've had some <laughs> few physical setbacks, but uh not as much as I used to. But um I still surf. And I have both uh, EPS boards and uh, poly boards. I like the EPS. I like how light they are and strong they are. I shape them and, uh, and then get them glassed. I have a shaping room at the house. So I, uh, it's just something I can't
1: let go of. Yeah, good. <laughs> that was yeah. a neat thing, too. When, when we did move the factory out, when Moonlight Glassing split off, we kept a shaping room there at the shop. At the shop. And it that was neat where a customer could come in, and I'd go, well, heck, come on the back. Let's draw an outline on there, and let's, let's do this. Okay. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah, try
2: to keep that home-built right shop feel. Right. Yeah, that was
0: important. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a rarity nowadays. Yeah. And I think you could only really grandfather it in. I don't know that the city would let you build a shaping bay now in a retail space,
2: you know? Well, the shaping, shaping the- now they have the vacuum hooked to your planer, I get dustier fine sanding the board than I do planing the board. Because really? it just, it just yeah. sucks it all right. away. Right, right, right. It's amazing.
0: Um, how often over the years do you ride other shapers' surfboards? I don't. Really? At all?
2: Uh, Why not? Uh, it would be a rarer case. Sometimes you're out in the water and, oh, let's try it. You know, switch Trade a board to couple, of board, couple of waves or something, but... Uh, I just I just kind of like to go with what feels what feels good for me and uh, I've got people challenging me like uh, I've made some uh, asymmetrical tails and concave bottoms and and uh, I can't I haven't ridden one but they look good and they like them Mm -hmm. you know but I saw you know I'm 74 years old now so I can't even ride a shoreboard anymore Sure. So uh, I have to depend on others for the feedback. Right. You know.
1: so, but it's still fun yeah. doing it. There is nothing like writing something that you made with your own hands. Yeah, right. sure. yeah. yeah totally. Yeah, there's no satisfaction like that probably. Yeah.
0: Um, so what's the status of sunset surfboards as a label right now? Where are the boards available? Where are t-shirts available? That sort of stuff.
1: Um, South Coast. Sort of shop down in Ocean Beach is where we're selling boards. I'm doing done a couple of customs through there and got a few on the rack and I'm actually even starting to um, consult or help them with some of their because South Coast is a label of its own. They build surfboards also, and so I'm going to help uh, with a couple of those models that will get scanned and put on the computer and they'll be made under the South Coast label. Got it. But I'll still keep my. Sunsets in there. we have some T-shirts in there. It's 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 a hobby. Is all it is right now. It's not a yeah. it's not a business at all. Yeah. I'm not making any money at it. Anything I make, um, almost covers my taxes at the end of the year. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it's something I've hung on to, thinking that maybe when I do retire, I can do some more specialty boards and, um, and maybe, you know, do that. Twelve to $1,400 board once or twice a month just to, just to have yeah. something really cool out there. Right. What about
0: the Wright surfboards? Where are those available, and how do people get a hold of you if they want one?
2: Usually uh, they know me, and they'll get a hold of me, or uh, I had some in a shop, uh, uh, but they recently... Uh, anyway... I had. It's nice to be able to display your boards. And if they're not in a shop, you miss not having your boards on display where you can sell those boards for $1,200, $1,400. Uh, uh, so I don't have that right now, but um, uh, I'm not pushing for it. I'm not going out banging on doors trying to get my boards in there. I'm just not into it. and. Uh, you have enough orders, as it is, to keep you. No, I mean, I don't need orders. I just, uh, I'm retired, and so uh, I like, you know, I I do a few here. I do one or two a month, something like that. I got my grandkids that want boards all the time. Yeah. That's got to be gratifying. Yeah, yeah, it's fun.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, is there anything that we didn't cover that we should?
1: I would just say anybody listening to this, you know, Go uh, talk to a shaper and order a board and, and see what you get rather than just go and buy something off a rack. Yeah, you know, There's great boards on the rack, but there's something about a relationship between a surfer and their shaper that's pretty awesome. I've gotten good boards off
0: the rack for sure, but the best boards I've ever had are the result of refinement.
2: Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. It's
0: Absolutely. Like, get a board from a shaper, ride it a bunch, surf with that shaper, he takes all that feedback, makes me another board, and it's like board number five and number six are the ones that are the magic. Yeah.
2: Yeah. You want a magic board, yeah. for sure. Yeah.
0: And just the process of refining it is fun, too. Like the ma- it's not just for to have the magic board in the end. It's the thinking about it and tinkering on it and then talking about it, it that's all fun. Yeah.
1: yeah, and that's one of the things that is different between surfing and retail and stuff now compared to then is there's a lot of people out there that... I guess technically they're surfers, but they have a wave storm from Costco, and they go you know every third weekend with their friends, and they just they're not living that surf lifestyle, where back in the '70s and '80s, I mean, there was professionals that surfed, and there was non-hardcore surfers, but most of the people that you dealt with were like. Hardcore surfers, they yeah. were into it. Yeah, yeah. Not now just it's casual. now yeah. it's like, oh yeah, I surf and I golf, you know, and I do this and I do this. Yeah, and um, it's not it's not a lifestyle anymore. It's a great point for a lot of people, and it still is for a lot of people too. Yeah. But but it isn't for a good number of the surfers.
0: Yeah, back in the day, there was no such thing as a recreational surfer. Yeah, it was like surfers or not surfers. Yeah now there's a lot of in between a lot of gray area yeah yeah very good well thank you gentlemen thank you yeah you're welcome Series was prompted by the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center's exhibit of the same name. It runs through October 29th, and their website is shack.org, S H A C C.org. And um, Vayer Watches, of course, is today's sponsor. I neglected to mention at the top of the show, but they are a member of 1% for the planet, donating 1% of all sales to support environmental nonprofits outdoor retailer huckberry said quote if you drew a venn diagram that compared style durability and price veyer watches would be dead center when you go to veyer watches you'll see over 500 five star reviews it's just the perfect fashionable watch that's built for outdoor life and of course you save 10 percent off your purchase with our promo code surf10 that's surf10 and that also supports our little podcast network of shows here. Um, so thank you for doing that. It's veyerwatches.com. Surf10 is the code. We're also doing that Rawson surfboard giveaway through September 30th, through the end of this month. Pat Rawson will custom build a surfboard to your specs, a shortboard, limited length of six foot seven. And we'll pick that winner on October 1st. You can actually earn uh, an entry by using the promo code podcast on spyoptic.com. You'll also get an entry if you make a donation of any size on surfsplendorpodcast.com slash donate. You can do that through either PayPal or Venmo. If you have a recurring monthly donation set up, then you're already entered to win. But you can actually double your odds on spyoptic.com again by using that promo code podcast. And by the way, I put a list of all of our sponsors on our website so you can kind of see the promo codes and um, stuff you're going to need anyways. Clothing, wetsuits, sunglasses, watches. So consider our partners and save yourself some money when you do that by utilizing them. And um, also, by the way, thanks for all of the nice notes that you've included with your donations. Despite the fact that we're all just kind of strangers on the internet, it's really an unbelievably nice little community that we've developed here. So thank you so much for that. You guys have all been a huge part in this show, directing its growth by giving um, feedback, guest suggestions, all that sort of stuff. So thanks for that. I'll be back on Friday with Chaz Smith for another episode of The Grit. And then hopefully we're going to pull off a pirate stream of live commenting on finals day of the Freshwater Pro at chaz's house uh we're planning to go live at 10 a.m on saturday and you'll be able to find that on beachgrit.com all right i'll be back here on surf splendor next wednesday broadcasting from portugal until then this is david scales for surf splendor reminding you to get back into the ocean share some waves and shred on